Hello, and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Kate Wolf, editor-at-large for LARB, and I'm joined in the studio today by my co-hosts, LARB's managing editor, Medea Ocher, and LARB's sexuality and gender editor, Eric Newman. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hi. So we are going to try something new this week, and we are going to be calling this show the best of show. And what we're going to do is pick a subject and each of us are going to discuss the best of that particular subject. So we did a best of show for 2019 and we had such a good time doing it and coming up with our best of lists. And even though we had also a tough time and we disagreed in certain situations, but we had such a good time putting together this best of show that we thought, you know what, let's keep doing that. So that's what the idea is behind this new show. It's a best of show, but for a specific subject that we're going to choose once in a while. So this week, what we're going to do is difficult women. And each of us has prepared mm-hmm. three or more of <laughs> our favorite difficult women. Uh-huh. And this will be our presentation of best of difficult women. Does that make sense? <laughs> that sounds great. So Kate, so this was your idea. Actually, it was. So I threw out the idea for the show and your idea for the subject was difficult women. Why did you suggest that? It's more personal than timely, but mm. you did, Medea mentioned some good examples of some timely, difficult women that are, have been in the news recently. But I went on a vacation and there was this woman on the vacation, I mean, just on the bus, like in Mexico, getting on the bus. And I saw her later at the beach and she was like really annoying. <laughs> kind of like she was, you know, she was kind of drunk. Like she was with her young son. They, she, she was complaining to me about how much the wine costs. We were like drinking at the airport bar. You know, I mean, I wasn't drinking, but she was. And then she kept on like bothering the bus driver and trying to talk to him in Spanish. And then later I saw her at the beach, but she didn't recognize me. These kids that she was with were making a mess of the sand. And then she went with like her friend to go smoke. And I saw her like really having this long conversation with this silver vendor. Wow. But I was like, oh, this is like a familiar type to me. There's something too much about this woman and also maybe not like following the societal expectations of what women should do and not in a like a very she wasn't a caricature it wasn't like oh bad moms like bridesmaids but almost veering towards that you know like a little bit just different and I was drawn to her and I thought oh yeah like this is a type this kind of woman like this and so that's why I thought of it yeah and the things that I thought about in terms of that being in the news were well I mean so many different things but one of them was Elizabeth Wurzel dying, right. which is what mm. you also brought up, Kate. Yeah. yeah. The Harvey Weinstein trial and the witnesses that came forward during that trial. And the latest, and this is maybe sort of like publishing world inside news, but American Dirt. Mm-hmm. Right? Janine People. Cummins. Yeah. yeah and well, and Miriam Gerba, the writer yeah. who kind of started this whole controversy right. you know, by publishing this review that wouldn't be published by... Mother Jones, I believe it was, and then just like really having an online campaign against this book, which she found so offensive and ridiculous and really speaking up. So I feel like that's like a good example of a difficult woman who has more of an activist side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Weinstein as well. These women who refuse to be silent. Yeah. And refuse to have sort of a neat relationship to victimhood. I think that seems like pretty important. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But Eric, what's a difficult woman for you? Yeah, so I think I went in like something of like a different way because I was thinking about all of the people that I wanted to talk about today are like writers or theorists. So I was thinking about difficulty either as like the difficult women in the sense of like their work means one thing to you, but then Mm. their actual life persona is like, ooh, how do I square that with the work itself? You know, where it's like, you'll see more when we get into the examples. And then the other one is just like women who are difficult to read, like where their Mm -hmm. work is actually just really hard. And then I promise no more than three. So it's like the last way that I was thinking about it was women whose work you're drawn to, even when you're also repelled by it Mm -hmm. in interesting ways. So it's like, that is more like difficult as a kind of ambivalence where it's like, oh, I'm so here for the work, but do I embrace it? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we get to our best of the difficult women that we have chosen? Sure. Okay. So... Let's see who the most difficult woman <laughs> is. Hope we had, like, it would be great if this was like an MMA match. Yeah. Where at the end, <laughs> we just them ha- against <laughs> each other. Yeah. yeah. Kate, do you want to go first? Sure. I'll offer my first okay. one. So like I was saying, yeah, there's all these examples of, I don't know another kind of woman that I really appreciate. I mean, yes, of course, there are other kinds of women I appreciate, but just <laughs> thinking. You of, only <laughs> like the difficult ones. Yeah. <laughs> reflecting on my fiction choices. I feel like, yeah, the stranger often the better and the more like pained or self-emulating the better. But I, I do feel like there's this strain of like activists that I appreciate in real life and then maybe more people who have emotional difficulty with themselves like in fiction. And so that being said, my first choice is the character from Eric Romer's 1986 film, The Green Ray. And her name is Delphine. Okay. This woman who stars as Delphine is Marie Riviere, and she wrote a lot of this character's dialogue. And a lot of it was based on her own experience. Mm. It's a movie where she, it's like the big vacation in France. Someone cancels her in the last minute, and she can't decide where to go, and she doesn't want to travel alone. And she does end up going with a friend away, and she just can't really get along that well with anyone and she's always crying and there's this there's this scene where everyone's having lunch and it's this beautiful scene and she doesn't want meat because she's a vegetarian and everyone is so shocked like why are you a vegetarian and she starts crying because it upsets her so much and later she goes and she goes somewhere by herself and she meets this girl and she's like saying how she's not like the girl she can't just like meet a man and you know be with him and she starts crying and They do meet these men, these kind of terrible sleazy men, and she just runs away. They're all sitting around a table and suddenly she just can't handle it anymore. She just runs away and tries to get (laughs) away from these men as fast as possible. And so it's definitely a, you know, lots of people consider this film a masterpiece, but it's also kind of a smaller story. You know, it's all set within this kind of like bourgeois conventions that she can't quite meet and that she's so haunted by her own indecision and this kind of magical thinking and of course, I just relate a lot to this character. Totally. I was just, <laughs> as you're like talking about this, I'm like, wait, is this my life? <laughs> um, but also, yeah, I think that's like this form of, of a woman that's difficult is just someone who does not quite in step with norms. And it yeah. doesn't have to be in a way that they're fighting them, you know, but it can be that they're just a little off. 
Delphine is like, she's such a beautiful, really poetic example of that to me. So she was my first choice. All right. Actually, that's like a beautiful transition into my first choice, which was the modernist writer, Juna Barnes, which is my literary nemesis. Yeah, exactly. That's your literary nemesis? Yes. So Barnes is, well, do you want to talk a little bit about why she's your literary nemesis? Or do you want me to Probably, do the setup first? No, I think you should okay. do the setup because it will be self-explanatory after you set it up. So like, here's the thing about Barnes is that, so she's primarily famous for this exemplary modernist novel in all of those ways, Nightwood, which is, I have really loved this novel. I know that you don't. And I have literally never been able to get anyone else to read it. So it's like, <laughs> no, stop. my aunt true. has tried to read it twice. You're who? And she's my I've, aunt. I read that mm. book. And, and she's told it. me like, no, I cannot do it. Because people mm-hmm. are like, it doesn't make sense. I'm not even sure where she's going with this. Like, is it all just interior psychology? Is it just bad? Is it genius? There's all these kind of things that people bring to Nightwood, even though I love it. I and remember liking the imagery a lot. Yeah. it's yeah. Maybe we ways. should tell people what it's about. Yeah, okay, of? so my line about Nightwood is that it's a breakup novel. So mm. in real life, Juna Barnes was in a relationship with a woman named Thelma Wood, who was a sculpturess, and I believe, I can't remember, but I'm sure listeners will correct us, that she was like an heiress also. She was American. Mm -hmm. And they were in a relationship, and then Thelma left her, left Juna. And Juna was like so heartbroken, and this novel is kind of what came out of it. So in the novel, there's a woman that's desperately in love with a woman who does nothing but abuse her. And that's obviously the autobiographical element. But then there's also a doctor that dresses in drag and, you know, and haunts like the pissoirs or the toilets in Paris and like goes cruising. I mean, it's a whole, what I love about the novel is it's kind of representation without really giving anything away of the queer demimonde of like Paris in the 1920s. And that's what I find beautiful about it. But most people really don't like it. Yeah, okay, my reason for not liking it is because it would just not submit to my critical gaze. <laughs> yes, or <laughs> any argument. It. It or won't. any As soon argument. as you try to make any argument that would have a through line in that novel, it will collapse. Yes, and that drove me absolutely insane. I understand why <laughs> now, actually, I think I understand much better why that kind of book should be appreciated, yeah. actually, in fact, rather than hated. But at the time, I was like, why will this just not make sense. (laughs) As a person who is otherwise like trained to make sense of nonsense or try to make sense of nonsense, this would not, it wouldn't bend. It wouldn't do anything to help me. Yeah, she is an absolute boogeyman for any critic. And I think that's also what I find at once what's difficult about her, but it's also what I think is really generative about her is that you can't quite pin her down. And then there's one other thing that, you know, she's often remembered even within kind of the canon of LGBTQ fiction as this kind of landmark lesbian author, which is an identity that she thoroughly rejected throughout her entire life. In fact, she has this Mm -hmm. famous saying, I think it goes something to the effect of like, I'm not a lesbian. I was just in love with Thelma. So it's like she even refuses anyone trying to give her a coherent sexual identity or otherwise, which again is what I love about her. And I will always love anyone that refuses all kinds of labels or like coherence. And that's what she's great for. All right. That's your number one? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. My number one is 
I'll stay with our current theme, which is literary. Okay. Sort of. Literary and fictional, maybe a little bit. Okay. So my number one difficult fictional character, the rest of mine are real women, but my number one fictional character is Lucy Snow from the book Villette, which I actually have with me. Mm. Villette is a book by Charlotte Bronte. I think it is one of the best books she ever wrote. Maybe the best book. I know that might be controversial, but who cares? The best book ever written? <laughs> mm, not ever uh, written, but okay. maybe by one of the Brontes. The, the best Bronte mm. book. I might be. So here's what Villette is about. Villette is about this woman, Lucy Snow, but she begins as a girl. And Lucy Snow, like you were saying, Kate, just doesn't quite get what she's supposed to be doing and why she's supposed to be doing it. <laughs> and the book is about, she's orphaned. She has some distant relations and she goes off to a boarding school in Belgium, which is what Villette is. It's a tiny town in which the boarding school is. And Lucy Snow, and also notice her last name, Snow, she is just as cold as she sounds. <laughs> um, Lucy starts teaching there. And the rest of the book is really dedicated to her navigating the ways in which women get power in the world, lose power in the world, mm. and maintain power in the world. And she's a really weird character. She's like extremely unsentimental. It's an all-girls school. And at one point, she locks one of the students into a little cabinet when she's misbehaving, the student. She doesn't give a shit. Like, she just does whatever it takes to maintain power mm. within the classroom first because she notices that that is her one area in which she does, in fact, have power. But then her navigation of power goes beyond the classroom into romance. And she has a very unusual romantic story, particularly for that era mm. and a Bronte. And it doesn't end in the way that you think it's going to end. But she's also, you know, she's largely unlikable. She's so weird. She's so cold. She doesn't like most people. She stays away from people. She's relatively isolated. She's unemotional. So it's like kind of the polar opposite of Delphine. Right. She's often confused by why women cry so much. <laughs> and she identifies a lot of the, there are times when she sort of is describing a scenario and she's like, well, she was a mother. So she was crying. I, Lucy Snow, was completely unemotional. She's super weird. And also it starts with her, she's living at at her godmother's house and it starts with her going into her room and she sees a crib in it and she says wait and I will read this because it's like such a strange line in a book because it's quite clearly a crib she's old enough to recognize what it is and she says and in addition to my mahogany chest of drawers I saw a tiny rosewood chest I stood still gazed and considered of what are these things the signs and tokens I asked the answer was obvious a second guest is coming Mrs. Breton expected other visitors, a little girl. And this is the first sign that this is not a woman, not a girl who sees any use for children, <laughs> for motherhood, <laughs> for any of the things that you will otherwise expect her to invest her time in. And she doesn't. She really doesn't. I highly recommend this book to anybody who's like interested at all in the Brontes or interested in reading. But the other great time is when she dissects the power of attraction. She herself is described as homely. She's not very attractive. But she admires other women, sort of, but admires them because she understands that 
attraction holds particular power for women mm. that lends mm. them some kind of power. And she understands she doesn't have that power, so she has to look for it elsewhere. She's the best. That sounds great. I definitely want to read that. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's also like a really amazing ending. So that's my first. Lucy Snow. Lucy. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, recorded at Emerson College in the heart of Hollywood. We now return to our best of conversation on difficult women. Well, you know, I wanted to respond to this idea of lack of sentiment as being as making a woman difficult. And mm -hmm. I actually wanted to reference a show that we did a long time ago with uh, Deborah Nelson about oh, her book, yeah. Tough Enough, which had to do with kind of the unsentimental attitude of, of all these different brilliant women. Right, 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 right. And then also, I, because my next choice, I won't say that she's unsentimental, maybe in a way like Susan Sontag or mm. uh, women that were discussed in, in Deborah Nelson's book, but there's a lack of sentiment, and especially around motherhood, and my next choice, which is um, Barbara Loden's film Wanda from 1970. Not seen it, have you heard? Mm, no, I haven't seen it's, it. I, I, I saw it years ago, and I remember it being like kind of a downer, I have to admit. <laughs> um, but then I recently saw it again at uh, UCLA Film Archive, and it is really a masterpiece. And this woman, Barbara Loden, she was an actress, and she was married to Ilya Kazan, and this was her only film that she wrote and directed. And and just having a female mm. director in this in 1970 was, you know, a, yeah. a, alone kind of conspicuous. And then this film is just the attitude of this woman who Barbara Loden plays and just the most, like, incredible performance I've ever seen because it's, it's so hard to tell what she's feeling. There's this kind of mutedness. Um, there's a scene where she's expected at the courthouse. You know, this is set in like rural Pennsylvania, coal country, very depressed. And she shows up for her divorce hearing and um, her husband's there and he's so frustrated with her and she's late and she's smoking and she's kind of like slouching and basically she's like, all right, take them, take my kids. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not a good mom. It's fine. Like, she's just so, she's, she kind of shirks all responsibility but then you can't, there is like something going on there but it's it's hard to tell what she's feeling and she's very malleable so in that way maybe she's a different kind of difficult woman because she seems to kind of go where you know, she's taken and she has this wayward quality and she ends up getting, you know, wrapped up with a bank robber and she turns into a criminal, but there's, it's, it's, it's like somewhat passionless, you know, it's, it, it doesn't seem like she knows exactly why she's doing what she's doing. And it's just the, the complexity of it, you know, and by the end of the film, you really don't know what's going to happen to her. She becomes a character who basically is, has, has nothing but the clothes on her back and um, seems like she's headed for bad times uh but it's like a miraculous performance of, of just something that's very you know hard to discern of, of what this person is feeling and what is motivating them so that like lack of obvious sentiment i think also makes her this really difficult character where you're not sure like if you're rooting for her or not of course but you you can't help but to as well okay so the other and this one is actually two women because I think about them being difficult in much the same way, even though they're quite different, um, which would be Andrea Dworkin, the feminist oh, uh -huh. critic, and also Valerie Solanas, uh, who's kind of also in her own way a feminist critic, who though I think would never want to be associated with feminism, which is also, I guess like all of these women that I'm really interested in being difficult are people that didn't want to be part of any group that they would seem to have been a part of. 
With Dworkin, obviously, who, and we've talked about her on the show before, um, this kind of feminist from the 1970s, 1980s, you know, it's hard to get behind her because of some of the things that she did, right? Like going to work with like the kind of more conservative right against like pornography, coming out basically saying that like BDSM is basically like you've been brainwashed and you can't be a real feminist if you engage in like that kind of play, all of which I disagree with. Except that when you read her writing, you're kind of like, oh, well, okay, I'm 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 here for some of this. Like I can see a real like mind alive and and it also gets complicated when you read her her bio, you know, like all of her experience getting raped and all that. So it's like she's one of those people that's just like you're you're kind of pushed and pulled between her ideas, you know? And similarly, like Valerie Solanas is the author I think most famously, uh well, she's famous for two things. One is for writing the Scum Manifesto, Scum standing for the Society for Cutting Up Men. So we'll talk about that in a second. And then also for shooting Andy Warhol. Yeah. So the thing about like Valerie's ideas. She's a good choice. Yeah, she's she's interesting, right? Because it's like on the one hand, hard for me, not just as a man, but as like a human being to get behind someone who ultimately kind of seems to be advocating genocide against men, <laughs> which is like, well, I don't know if that's the utopia that I want. Um, but on the other hand, it's like when you read Scum Manifesto, one of the brilliant things she does is utterly turn on its head all of our gender stereotypes. So in Scum Manifesto, she's basically like, men are all the stereotypes that we assign to women. Like, they're passive, they're, like, foolish, they're, like, all these kind of things. And, like, women actually are the ones that are, like, really taking charge and, like, doing things and that women are men and men are women. And I'm, like, seeing that kind of inversion, I was, like, that's great and it's exciting and it's interesting. And in both cases, these writers, they they write in a kind of manifesto-like style that is, like, always engaging, but also always polarizing, right? So that's where you're like caught in the in-between of like, yes, I'm totally here for this. Wait, but what? What did you just say? (laughs) You know, so that's where I am. And I love those kind of like, I like those kind of difficult figures because I really like trying to figure out like, well, why am I stuck? Like, what is Mm -hmm. it that's like getting me stuck with this particular person? So I don't know which one to go with next because... There's one option that is like really different than what we've talked about thus far. And there's one option that's kind of within the realm of what we talked about. Go with different. Go with different. (laughs) Yeah, go with different. All right. So my second choice, though, please do not tell her that, (laughs) is Mariah Carey. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I really like <laughs> right. this one. Okay. Oh, and I made Will, our sound engineer, laugh really yeah. hard. All right. So I think no list is complete without Mariah Carey mm-hmm. on it, number one. Um, <laughs> but number two, things that delight me about Mariah Carey's difficulty, her general difficulty really delights me. Um, she seems like she's super demanding in terms of her performances, mm-hmm. her leaving the house. I've had, you know, friends who've worked with her before who say she will not leave the house unless you provide a $10,000 hair and makeup team, um, which makes sense to me. I mean, why yeah, not? Same, same. <laughs> yeah, same. And I like that she really is unafraid to just kind of stand up for what she knows she's worth. She's worth mm, a lot. Mm, mm. She's worth a lot because she's one of our greatest talents. Yeah, an American and treasure. An American treasure. Yeah. And even if her singing has declined a little bit. <gasps> I know, I know. Just a little bit. I mean, it happens. It happens with age. Still, just an incredible performer, 
legend in terms of her catalog. I mean, the many, many times in which I listened to a Mariah Carey record when I was, I don't know, eight, nine, mm-hmm. ten. I just had it on loop. And I was Wait, also— this is like daydream days, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I forget which video it was that had like the t-shirt blurred out on it. Do you guys remember what I'm talking I think it's fantasy maybe. Oh, that sounds right because, yeah, she's wearing—wait, is are they it's blurring like a, out text No, there's like a—maybe ODB is in it. And there's like a, a person in the video who has the blurred out t-shirt— this is neither here nor there, but I was obsessed with what the blurred out t-shirt said as a kid because I was like, what could it possibly yeah. say? Anyway, and the the other thing that I, you know, I think about relatively often is when, and I'm certain I'm not alone in this, is when somebody asked Mariah Carey about J-Lo and Mariah Carey just said, I don't know her. Um, oh. And that is just one of the best answers I have ever heard of in my life. Um, and the person was like, you, you don't know her? And she's like, I don't, know, I don't know her. I can't say anything. I don't know her. Um, and that's just a real lesson, I think, in terms of you don't have to talk about things that you don't want to talk about. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Speaking you can, of, you remember her like New Year's Eve performance? Well, I was going to say, just she like, didn't want to sing and so yeah, she didn't. She didn't want to sing. Didn't. It's like the audio cut out and then she's just like casually walking down the <laughs> stairs, like not even trying to make it work, like just kind of <laughs> flouncing through like her the routine. I watched that and on the one hand, it's like, it's a train wreck, but I'm also yes. like, good for you. You're like, this isn't working for me and I'm not doing things that don't work for me. Exactly. And like there's so many times in which um, women, women in lo- at large, but and myself in particular, are accommodating, yeah. mm-hmm. are nice, are gentle, are happy to do what is asked of them um, and are happy to offer themselves in whatever capacity they may be offered. And Mariah Carey just doesn't do that. Yeah. And so I, I admire her greatly. And I do know her. And I don't know J-Lo. <laughs> I will, ne- I will I never also, say that I don't oh know J-Lo I, love I also know J-Lo Yeah, that, that, I think that's a, another type Maybe we haven't talked about quite, quite yet is the, is the diva Yeah You know, right. the difficult yeah. because they're so demanding You know, they won't, they won't do things that they don't want to do um, or they expect like that's and I, I know I actually really appreciated that reading all the obituaries for Elizabeth Wurzel that mm. um, editors saying, you know, she asked, you know, she wanted to get on the phone. It was like a, you know, a 3000 word piece. She was she wanted to talk about it like a 100 times. I just had to cut out after a certain point, just like asking for more. Right. And that that is so uncomfortable for so many people, you know, within Within reason, um, probably, yeah. But but at the, the same time, we the classic image is women being accommodating, and then and that's and that's why there's something so refreshing about about someone who who is not who's self centered, who who wants what they want and and what they need and is going to go after it. Absolutely, and is clear about what they deserve. I mean, I do yeah. think, Mar- yeah. you know, obviously everybody deserves the best, no matter what your talent (laughs) level is. But she has given us a lot. And so she deserves a lot. This reminds me of a figure who I will now include in mine, but, and I think you'll be into this, which is Azalea Banks. Oh, Um, yes. The rapper. Now, it has become, especially over the last couple of years, like very difficult 
to be on her side, um, mostly because of her, like, the embrace of Trump and, like, all of those kind of things. However, she is another one of those people that it's, like, you know, hasn't quite hit the same heights as Mariah Carey, admittedly, but is, like, just, like, I'm doing me, and, like, I don't care. She has no concern for, like, any boundaries that she might cross. She has, like, you know, like, when she went after... Grimes and Elon Musk. Yes! Yeah. Oh, my God, oh, I love that so much! Because it was also just, like, it was so deeply weird that it's, like, those three people were kind of, like, all in the same orbit. But also then, like, she immediately went from that to, like, now I'm selling soaps. And, like, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, she may not anymore, but she was definitely, there was a period where she was, like, selling soaps. I feel like the last thing that really made an impression on me about Azealia Banks is when she, a tour of her, like, brujeria closet. Oh, I didn't see that, (laughs) but I'm immediately going to look it up. Yeah, she's, like, it's, like, a tour where she cleans up all the chicken Blood and feathers off of the walls of her closet, and that's where. That's How where can she you does. not like that? It's like she's uh, it's so totally over insane. the top yeah. and like so interesting. Oh my god! And also, the other thing that keeps bringing me back to her is that her songs are really good. They like are. I still yeah. enjoy her music. Okay. Well, speaking of, <laughs> I I don't know her work, but uh, <laughs> I think I did read the the text about uh, crimes and Elon Musk. <laughs> I I for, I know, I feel like we have to kind of wrap up here. I, and I and I and I don't remember the plot so much of um, this Jane Bull, Jane Bowles book, Two Serious Ladies. Oh, um, oh. But I would have choice. to say uh, all of Jane Bowles's characters like are are to me difficult women. And I remember Two Serious Ladies in particular, although I, I'm not like recounting the plot, but Christina Goring is the one of the main characters. And I, I just remember thinking she was so strange, yet so self-possessed and very um, direct with people. And so along along the those lines of asking for what you want and um and almost childlike in that way of that that children don't don't doubt um, what they're asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember her really sticking out to me, but I will end uh, as, because I can't uh, recall the plot of that book very well um, with saying that one of my favorite difficult women is Sophie Call, the oh. artist who kind of transgresses normal boundaries uh, in, in the name of her art, who followed uh, a man... Um, around the streets of Venice who, you know, took someone's found notebook and read it and contacted everyone in it to get information (laughs) about him who, who who worked as a maid and went through people's objects that they had packed with them and photographed them. Basically, who's, who's willing to do anything for her work, um, even if it's, you know, illegal or really uncomfortable or, you know, verging on, on stalking, um, (laughs) Uh, I I just love her, and she seems like you might not want her to get sicked on you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, that so okay. So I have I actually had two more because I messed up and I did four. Um, I know. Maybe um, you could cut cut one or condense oof, them. Okay, I'll just okay. do I'll just do quickly the two that that might in some ways do go together. So um, the the other two are Angela Davis who is a famously difficult woman mm. because, not because of her personality necessarily. I've, I don't know her. I do know her in the Mariah Carey way, but I don't um, know her personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but famous, famous political activist who has been disrupting uh, everything and 
the um, the larger capitalist American system since the 60s. Um, so a famous difficult woman in the ways in which um, difficult women can be activists and, okay. and can actually get stuff done. And so I'm a, I'm a great admirer of Angela Davis. And then my last difficult woman is Gayatri Spivak, who is a, oh, a theorist, a professor at Columbia. And I, I took a class with her as an undergraduate. So she's she's famous for the essay, Can the Subaltern Speak? Mm-hmm. And she translated Derrida's text. She was also Derrida's lover for a little while, which is just a little bit of gossip. Um, <laughs> And I took a class with her as an undergraduate and she was very nice to us because we're children, but she routinely made the graduate students cry. Um, They were absolutely terrified of her. Uh, Yeah. And um, she's such a brilliant, brilliant person. She's also a person who writes in a way that is like so dense that it's nearly incomprehensible. (laughs) So sure, her work is extremely, extremely difficult because she is such a brilliant mind. But one of my favorite stories was told to me um, by a graduate student who had gone into her office to meet with her and she wanted to talk about her work. And Gayatri said, um, do you speak French? And she said, no. And then she said, do you speak German? And the graduate student said, no. She's like, do you read either of those languages? And the graduate student said, no. Uh, but, you know, a little bit here and there. And Gayatri said, there's no reason for you to be in my office. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, and you know, that's uh, she's a difficult woman in a number of ways. I think so. That is that's my kind of, uh, and both of them are professors. I should say yeah. both, both Spivak and Angela Davis are professors, so I can put them in a category together. Though they are major, major, major personalities and legends, I guess in and of themselves. So I'm sorry I had to speed through them, but. I needed to get them in there. Eric? I Okay, so my last one, my bonus round one, um, will be actually similar to yours. It's Judith Butler. Oh, yeah. Um, who is difficult in a kind of straightforward way, right? She's um, just very difficult to understand, particularly that, like, earlier work of hers. But it's one that I would encourage everyone, you know, if you're not going to read Nightwood, you need to read Gender Trouble. <laughs> so it's like you can pick one difficult, really <laughs> difficult book and make your way through it. Um, but I remember I have so many wonderful memories of teaching queer theory and specifically teaching Butler to undergrads, which really felt like they would come into the classroom like with their heads you know dragging along the floor feeling like I didn't understand any of this what is she talking about but then when we would slow down and really like carefully parse her sentences it's like it's not just jargon. It's like she's really like reshaping the way that you think, which is what I guess for me to try to tie a like inelegant bow on all of this is like, I think that's what we all love most about difficult women is that like they transform the way that you encounter either ideas about femininity, ideas about culture, or like ideas about yourself. And like, that's why they are both like vexing to us because we don't want to be challenged sometimes in those ways, but also why I think ultimately they remain so essential and like bound to us because of like that transformative possibility that they represent. What a beautiful summary. Well said, yeah. Right. Very well okay. said. <laughs> um, all right. Well, those are our difficult women. I I have more. Yeah. I mean, uh, we have don't honorable. we all? Yeah. 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 There's so many. And I'd be curious to hear um, what listeners... Who, who listeners think of. Yeah, so please comment and let us know and write to us. Please do. Let Definitely. Us know. All right, so this has been a best of show. 
and the subject has been difficult women. We'll list these difficult women when we post the show online. Sure. So yeah. you'll be able to go online and check out the books and, and the, the movies. And, and the past shows the that we've and done. And past shows, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, you guys, for bringing your difficult women to this studio. Thank you, Dea. Thanks, Dea. You've been listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like the show, leave us a comment and tell us what you think. The LARB Radio Hour's executive producers are Eric Newman, Medea Ocher, and Kate Wolf. Our engineer is William Broughton. Production assistance is provided by William Broughton, Eleanor Duke, Lauren Kinney, and Jake Levins. Our theme song is by composer Imogen Teasley. Special thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience, for production assistance, and to Emerson College for the use of their studio in Hollywood. Tom Lutz is the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Review of Books. 